The Nutty Bites Podcast is geek approved by the Geek Out with Mainframe Podcast. Cost is just that darn awesome. Hello, Mixed Nutcases. This is Nuke Chess, and I've got an episode of Intro to Ghibli for you today. And today we're doing things a little out of order. Uh, we're actually, we have a list and we're doing it first all the Ghibli movies, and then we go on to the other things. But um, our local theater was showing Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind, and this is a pre-Ghibli movie. So we ended up jumping the gun and just taking the opportunity to see it on the big screen. And we're glad that we did. So we're going to be covering Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind today. And with me, as always, I have... Hi, I'm Tech. And... Jason. Minus a Jennifer. But it's okay. She minus well- Jan, yes. But she gave you her rating. She did. She did. So our scores will not be incomplete. Uh, so before we get into this, uh, seriously, uh, I did want to cover one thing about our shows and how we do the rating system. We got to clarify this. We have to clarify. If you listen to the last Ghibli cast episode where we covered Princess Mononoke, uh, people, people were not so pleased with that. Uh, we had a girl run out of the room in anger. Yeah. Yeah. When we gave our scores. You're an evil brown man, Tech. <laughs> yeah. True. She left during my scoring, so. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, so when you hear us rate, uh, it's an out of 10 scale. Zero would be horrifying. One, dreadful. Two, tedious. Three, boring. Four, mediocre. Five, average. Six, solid. Seven, exceptional. Eight. Dazzling, nine, penultimate, and ten is sublime. So if we do our jobs right and we watch all of these movies, we should have an average score of five is what I'm thinking about. That there are going to be some very good ones. There's going to be some not so good ones. There's going to be some of the best cinema I've ever seen in my life. Some things that gave me cancer and a whole bunch of things in between. And I think as reviewers, uh, reviewers as a whole, we've gotten into this thing where review scales are from 7 to 9. Nothing will ever get 10 and anything under 7 is horrible. Look at like star reviews. Yeah. On uh, websites, like it, everything gets a four, except if it sucked, it gets a one, and never a two or three. Have we given a ten? Yes, we have. Yes, we have. Was it Kiki? It was my neighbor Totoro. We all gave it ten. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Kiki got uh, nines and eights. Yeah, because I, I gave I gave my Princess Mononoke a three. Now, and I explained it then, but I angered a lot of people because there's a lot of people that Princess Mononoke is their favorite Miyazaki film. And I can see the reasons why. You know, there the credits included a page of hundreds of names of the dead animators that fell, <laughs> making probably some of the most beautiful animation I've ever seen. But that's where the good stuff ended for me. I hated the plot. I hated the music. It didn't have an ending. It just kind of stopped. And even then, there was no resolution of anything. I... I I did not enjoy the movie other than, you know, the the artistic stuff. So, yeah, uh, to me, that's really boring. I thought I, it was a boring film. So that's why I got that score. And I love and I love my my sexy brown man. So I have to I have to support his decision. Um, and I, I will openly admit Mononoke is one of my favorite Ghibli movies, but it's not or Miyazaki movies, I should say. And it's not one that I go back to and watch too often. Like, I've definitely seen it a lot. But I've definitely seen probably Spirited Away more. 
um, by far. Um, I've seen Totoro more by far. Um, and, it, and, and one of your complaints was that it was long. And it is. It's really long. And it, it, it's made to feel longer because it has a lot of stretches of nothing happening or people just kind of talking. Where Mononoke excels the best is not only with his animation, but with its combat sequences. The two fight sequences in that thing where, um, yeah. where the, the elk guy, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, um, is fighting the samurai are superb. And I would kill to get Miyazaki to do something with combat oriented, with a combat orientation, because it, it was wonderful, it was superb. But again, that's where a lot of things stop. I gave it a higher rating than you because one was my one of my first Ghibli movies. I think it was right. I was the second thing I saw after Kiki, so it's got nostalgia working for it with me. So fans, don't kill me when I give these review scores. I'm uh, I am being fair. I'm not flaming anything, and uh, I try to explain my logic. And if I don't like something that you absolutely love, please let me know the reasons nope. why. Uh, but don't run out of the room crying, okay? I'm not doing this to be mean, and I'm certainly not doing this to offend anyone. It's just some things I like and other things I won't. There are movies that I'm going to enjoy that I'm sure you hate too. Yeah, and and I've noticed already as we go through the scoring, we're moving more towards comparing the movies with other Ghibli movies instead of with other movies as a whole. Yeah, and that's and and I will tell you, I'll tell you right now. By the end of it, you'll have to. Because Miyazaki does things on such a high level. Even his worst film, which I still feel is Whispers of the Heart. uh, Speaking of that, I have a question for you. Do you think Whisper of the Heart is tedious? Yeah, it is. is, So you will defend that score of it being tedious? Absolutely. It is a... I'll put it to you this way. I've only seen Whispers of the Heart a handful of times. I'm pretty sure I've seen it only maybe five or six times compared to literally, I've probably seen Spirits of the Way in the 20s, or if not 30s. I saw Spirits of the Way in the theaters three times. And, I, and, 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 and you sent me the schedule for them showing it again. I may try to go see it again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if you're listening to this and it's before the, uh, what, October 27th, I think, or 29th, whatever it is, uh, because... Between the end of October and the 1st of November, there will be three screenings of Spirited Away in the U.S. and Canada. If it's in the U.S. Cineplex theaters. Yeah. Well, in in Canada, it's in Cineplex theaters. In the U.S., it's other brands because they don't have Cineplex. Uh, And uh, you can go to, let's see if I can remember it. Uh, Just look for G Kids Presents and uh, go to their events and uh, they will. You put in your zip code. It'll tell you where it is. But yeah, check it out, and uh, you can watch Spirited Away on the mu- big screen before uh, our next recording. And I will tell you guys from firsthand experience that I've seen. Let's see, I've seen Whispers of the Heart. I'm mean, not Whispers of the Heart. I've seen Spirited Away. I've seen um, The Wind Rises. I've seen um, uh, Oh, um, Secret World of Our Yeti. And I've seen um, you've seen a few. Yeah, I've seen four of his films on the screen and it is wonderful. It is a wonderful experience. So let's talk about Nausicaa. Yes, let's talk about Nausicaa. So before we get into Nausicaa, 
Tech, can you give us your patented 30-second synopsis? Well, I actually found a synopsis to read here that's probably going to be a little bit more concise than what I could do. Because it's going to, because, uh, well, I'll give my version yeah. after. okay. Far in the future, after an apocalyptic conflict has dev- devastated much of the world's ecosystem, the few surviving humans live in scattered, semi-hospitable environments within what has become a, quote, toxic jungle. Young Nausicaa lives in an arid uh, lives in the arid valley of the wind and can communicate with massive insects that populate the dangerous jungle under the guidance of the pensive veteran warrior lord yupa nausicaa works to bring peace back to the ravaged planet it's dances with bugs is what it is this is dances with bugs 14 year old girl with a hang glider can talk to giant beetle bugs <sighs> Is it? But is it really talking though? Like it's. I feel it's more communing than actual. No words are actually exchanged from the bug side of things. No, no. It, it doesn't say. I didn't say she listens to bugs. I said she talks to bugs. She talks to them all the time. Hi, little baby bug. Hi, giant bug. Turn around and go back to the jungle, please. She's obviously talking to it. Who knows if it listens or if it says anything back. True. And there is one moment where it kind of does talk back because it lets her know that the pilot is alive. Yeah. And, pilot. And, and they do they do do things that show that they are like super sentient. Like they're actually mm-hmm. high levels of, like where they recognize her pain and stuff like that. True. Um, so, yeah. High points. Oh, uh, first impressions. Oh, yeah. Sorry. First impressions. Thank you. See, I'm glad I wrote it out. <laughs> My very first impression of this movie as the first couple of sweeping vistas went across the screen and the music picked up is that, wow, this is nowhere near as nice as Spirited Away. Am I going to hate, or not Spirited Away, as, as nice as Princess Mononoke? Am I going to hate this one too? Am I going to get shot for my review? Because, like, Princess Mononoke killed animators. This one, not as much. I don't even think there was a handspring. No, no, you know, it was pretty, but I remember watching a scene of running water and seeing, like, grass blow across the field, and it didn't look anywhere near as detailed as the other ones. And there there is a, I have a point to make here, there there is a a really sort of a decided visual look uh, to the world, you know, with those, um, the, the, um, the big airships and the glider and the bugs, and I noticed that this movie... Uh, being a pre-studio Ghibli. So it was directed by Miyazaki, but it was produced by Isahao Takahara. Is this, uh, Jason, is this a visual style that we're going to see in more of Takahara's films? Well, yeah. Or the lack of production value compared to the other Miyazaki ones? Are, are like the Takahara ones done on a lower level? or? Here's the thing. Isao Takahara and Miyazaki are like Walt Disney compared to Hanna-Barbera because yes Hanna-Barbera had some super cheap animation at some things but then there's other things where he superbly was excelled at so I'd um, say it's actually probably more Don Bluth what versus at, Disney yes yes thank you thank you that's yeah. a far better comparison yes Disney compared to Don Bluth um, and I would also like to say that in Isao Takahata's own work you're going to get what appears to be cheaper animation, but it is on par, if not exceed, some of Miyazaki's stuff. One of the things I'll point out to you is I'm pretty sure you've seen the trailers for it, but you may you haven't watched it yet for the show, is um, My Neighbors of the Yamadas. My Neighbors of the Yamadas is done in an animation style that looks like crayon drawings. Oh, that's or, awesome. And But here's the deal. It looks super cheap, but it costs more than Spirited Away. 
Oh, I bet. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's and harder it, to animate uh, that. Absolutely. And if you watch that movie and the way it works, it is beautiful. And then the movie he, I feel, got robbed on, um, because I'm pretty sure he went up against, if I'm not mistaken, he went up against Frozen. Oh, wow. Or no, no, no. He went up against um, Song of the Sea or something like that, um, some animated film, and he didn't get the Oscar. He got he got nominated, but he didn't get the Oscar for um, Tale of Princess Kaguya. Tale of Pr- Princess Kaguya is also in that kind of watercolor painted animation style and it is one of the most beautiful things i've ever witnessed put to film it is by far my favorite animated film like just from the way it looks period so the answer is no (laughs) to my question the answer is no so uh tech uh are you done with your initial reaction um i my my reaction throughout the entire movie as i'm watching this and this is something else that i i need to research is the, there seemed to be two types of music. There was like the the slow, dramatic music, and then when it got into the action scenes, especially when there were like airplanes and stuff, like this like rock with like a, like a thumping bass line starts. And it's like I've heard music like this before, and I've seen these bugs before. This is Chrono Trigger. <laughs> this entire game. This entire movie is Chrono Trigger, and what this movie felt like as I'm watching it, it feels like the really high-dollar cutscenes of a huge, sweeping JRPG. Like, they, I, got a, I got about a two-and-a-half-hour movie out of a 40- to 50-hour game that I was playing, and this is all the cutscenes spliced together. So my, my reaction to this movie is, my God, do I want to play this game now. <laughs> Here's the deal. Um... You're having that feeling, but it's not for a game. You're having that feeling for the manga. I'm going to just put it to you there. Um, Ma- Nausicaa is good by, by film standards, by comparing it to other stuff outside of Ghibli and Miyazaki. It's, it, it's comparatively, it's superb and it looks great and it's a good thing, good story, good characters. But if you look at the original work, the manga that Miyazaki did for this thing, that manga blows this out of the water. And I'm talking about like sinking it to the bottom of the ocean quick, fast, and in a hurry like the Titanic. It mentioned in the credits that this is based on a series. So this is, this is quite a long book or series of books. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It is, it was, it's one of Miyazaki's few manga, and it was a long one. Like it was a yeah. really long one. You can tell and, that because there's so much that happens in the story. Yeah, very quickly as well. Like, and we don't get a lot of backstory for the competing nations, and we also don't get a very good underlining uh, base for why Uma Thurman's character is doing this. Like, we understand she wants to win a war, but why is she so desperate? What you know? How far? Where is where is her country located? Because we do visit one of the other countries in this, but we don't visit hers. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot missing, and I think it would it hit personally. It just had to be cut out. Because you you would have had a six hour movie. This would have been Peter Jackson time. Like yeah. So nutty first if impressions. You, uh, so my first impressions uh, were, and I went in knowing nothing. I hadn't seen the poster. I hadn't heard a thing. I really have been trying to keep myself purely unspoiled. And uh, when I saw the runtime, I was like, oh, shoot, this is two hours and 20 minutes. I got to be somewhere. Um, but <laughs> it actually ended up being all right. I um, there were, you know, there's times they, they probably could have cut a half hour out of it to clean it up a bit. But well, we'll get to that. I, I didn't think that even though you could tell that there was more story, 
I didn't feel like, all right, but I'm stupid because where where's the rest of this? Why is this happening here? Uh, I didn't feel like they underexplained anything. And I also didn't feel like they over explained anything. So that was really good. They didn't talk down to the audience. They didn't um, underestimate or overestimate their audience, which was good. It was a nice story. Uh, I was happy that there was no romance. Thank goodness, because that could have, you know, Hollywood would have definitely put one in there. Um, And uh, the art was pretty, but it wasn't overly complicated. And, you know, the music was uneven. Uh, But uh, yeah, my initial reaction is didn't feel like a two and a half hour movie. So that's good. When I when I first saw this, it was actually um, it was actually during my second. No, I'm sorry. My first deployment when I was in Iraq, because I went like like all good soldiers when you get paid craps and crap tons of money and you have nothing to do. But Amazon delivers anywhere in the world. You buy things. And I went on a Ghibli collection spree. Wait, you I got have anime delivered by Amazon while you were on tour. That's awesome. Absolutely. I got um specifically my first trip, my first to Iraq. I spent um, in Iraq. I spent twelve hundred dollars in uh, <laughs> okay. in anime period. Um, I I collected all the Ghibli's, and these are the, all the original DVD uh, dual sets that have the special editions on a, the special uh, commentaries and stuff on the second disc. Um which are actually some of the ones I gave you guys um, when I upgraded to Blu-ray because the Blu-rays are just upscaled better versions of those with all the content on one disc. So I gave you guys those discs. I think it was at Balticon. Yeah. Two Balticons ago. Yeah. And, um, and then in our, in Afghanistan, I spent 1500. <laughs> I actually own all the Tenchi Muyo series that matter as well. Um, I also own Experial Center, Serial Experiments Lane. Woof. Um, so yeah, I'm a, terrible terrible otaku but when i first saw this the first thing out of my mouth was when i saw it and i saw the animation and the music um was holy crap this is 80s this is 80s <laughs> like my goodness and then i started comparing it to things i had seen previously such as akira um such as uh cyber city oedo um and it has that type of animation specifically also if you look at this animation style it looks like the music video that miyazaki did um not as I don't think it has as much detail as that one because that thing looked that that music video that you guys saw I think we talked about it before we mm-hmm. decided to do the intro cast um, that murdered every animator on it they're dead <laughs> yeah. you can't resurrect them with the Dragon Balls um, and that was my first impression I was like my God is this thing's eighties but once I got into it. I was like, holy crap, Miyazaki, you do like your strong ladies because this thing is driven by strong females across the board. And I love it. Yeah. So high points. Wow. High points. Um, the whole thing is good. It has a, a good story with um, a good voice acting. And let, let's talk about that. So in 2005, Disney um, re-released it with a new voice cast, you know, starring Alison Lohman and Patrick Stewart and Uma Thurman, and uh, did the same as all of the, uh, you know, the same quality that we've come to expect from these Disney re-releases, that they do them really, really well. And um, I thought the, the, the voice acting was incredible. The animation was pretty, but nowhere near as good as the stuff we've seen in the other movies. The music was kind of... yeah. Um, the high point for me, though, 
was the uh, the mechanical designs. Mm. So all of those airplanes, they're based on real airplanes, kind of. They don't have four wings, but you know, a lot of them are based on this thing called the Gigant, which was a huge German cargo airplane and glider from World War II. And the way the hatches open and close, the way the controls move, the way the, the, the cannon turrets all sort of hover and pivot i mean they, they are impossible to you know be made of like that big clunky steel and actually still float but you know the the visual design that they were going for to make these things look uh look old another thing that i noticed uh the tanks the tanks on the ground those are called brumbars those are german tanks from world war ii but they changed the tracks to give them more of like a claw-like feel and there's a scene where the bridge collapses and you see the tanks sort of scamper and scurry up the other side of the bridge and uh, disappear away. And the whole tank seems to like articulate as it moves along. I've seen that before. That was a game called Metal Slug. <laughs> Do you have you ever seen a thing called Dominion Tank Police? Uh, yeah, that the, that was the they they've got a, a little Renault a little Renault tank in um. In Tokyo, painted like what painted up as a cop car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was and, one. Of, uh, that was one of the first um, manga releases in North America. That came out at the same time as like Ninja Scroll and uh, the original Street Fighter movie and all that stuff that I was watching back in the one day. Of the, first, one of the first anime I ever saw on Saturday Anime on Sci Fi Channel. Um, and you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, you can see the influence of German technology as well as historical. Uh, bits of technology in this um what was your thoughts on the the gun plane that basically really was kind of a revolver with wings oh no it was a derringer it was a two-shot derringer uh with wings i i don't understand what the purpose of the little canopy at the back is if he's facing forward because he can't see anything because of the curve of the of the hull um it was uh, it was fantastic, but it was it was a fantasy movie with giant bugs. Uh, at, at this point, I'm willing to let my um, uh, I'm willing to suspend some of my disbelief. Uh, even her little hang glider, which um, I, I forget the name, but it's the German word for seagull. Um, is yeah, is the Meev? Meev? M e h v e? Yeah, Meve. Meve. Anyway, totally pretty and really well done, and. Um, but the one thing the, the the one thing I did notice when she's flying on the glider, so instead of like a normal hang glider where you hang underneath, she flies this one from the top, and she's got like a simple strap harness and these two controls for her hands. So she puts her hands on these bars, the strap goes across her middle, and she just sort of hangs in a hang glider position, but she's on top, which means she's not being hung. There's nothing holding up her legs. She's just being just a strap across her belly, which means flying for hours across the desert in these acrobatic maneuvers. The only thing keeping her legs up is her core. She must have like abs of granite to hold <laughs> that position. She she's fit, dude. It's and if you you know the glider in this is actually responsible for some of the best animation in the film. Um, like when she takes off and she actually has it do, it actually has jets of, of air or, or some sort of propulsion from the bottom, which launches it up in the air. And then it has an actual little jet booster to get it going. Um, and those end of sequences when she uses that is great. Also, she can actually, she actually hangs from the bottom at one point and kind of flips it over or flips over on it. Yeah, so she'll speak. she'll launch it like you were launching a kite or a paper airplane and just run the thing off a cliff and then flip up onto the top and boost away. Yeah, really 
you can't do stuff like that if you don't understand how airplanes and physics works, which means that Miyazaki did his homework and, yeah, and, 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 yeah, was, and he, was able to like, change it enough to make it fantasy. Yeah, and he, he did took some liberties to make it fit into the fantasy world, but it fits, and you don't care. Like, that's the thing. One of the things people complain about with certain films is like, oh, well, that's just outlandish. You broke the movie for me. To me, if you can do some outlandish, ridiculous bull crap, the world you're in, and I don't care, you've done your job. Like, if I'm not going, wait, how did that work? We call that a Clark Kent glasses moment. Uh, when people get upset on something so so minute, yet like I so do many, every movie, <laughs> yes, like the, when there's so many other fantastical things going on, uh, it, it, we call that the Clark Kent glasses moment. Okay, you can believe that the man is faster than a speeding bullet, and he came here as an alien, and there's all these other crazy circumstances, but you can't believe that people can't tell the difference between Superman in the sky with no glasses and Clark Kent in front of their faces with glasses. And that ruins it for you. Okay. (laughs) You know, and one of the high points for me though, was not only the voice acting because Sir Patrick Stewart is in this, Mm. uh, along with the lovely, lovely Uma Thurman. um, It is the one combat scene in this, because if you think about what we've seen so far, this is the only Ghibli film where people die. Like, well, the, people died in Mononoke, but this is a, a, a character that we know and has impact on the story that dies. Those samurai in Mononoke really had no purpose. They were just kind of cannon fodder. But her father is murdered and not just like dispatched. Like he is savagely murdered by a gang of knights from another country that in invades them. Bed. And this man is, yeah, he's bedridden. Yeah. Like, and I love, I love, by the way, Tech, this shows how fit she is. When she goes on her anger-fueled rampage, she murders like four dudes in a hurry because she's using that staff she has, which is made out of the same type of stuff as the, um, the giant bugs. So she's breaking their necks with this thing. She's, she's literally hitting them hard enough to break their necks through their armor. When they get that from her, she gets her father's sword and is about to waste these guys. Like, and I don't think she would have lost. Like, cause they were in close quarters. They couldn't draw their weapons and they were already losing in hand to hand combat. Yeah, like fighting an was- enraged 14 year old with abs of granite and a magical sword. Yeah. <laughs> By the laws of by the laws of Ghibli, the one thing I've learned from watching these movies is that we need to disband all world governments and militaries and let fourteen-year-old girls do everything. Because according to Miyazaki, they can. Sounds good to me. You, know you just got to find the right girl. She's got to be the the one with the strongest and purest of heart. Right. Yeah. And, the, abi- and the ability to talk to bugs. Yeah. Or or know- Totoro's or whatever. Yeah, and you notice though. Kind of falls into a trope here. The father figure, when she and here's the deal: yes, she's in a rage, but she's only in a rage against those who who crossed her. Because when she hurts someone who is near and dear to her, she snaps out of it. Yeah, yeah. When she accidentally stabs uh, Yupa. Yeah, yeah. By the way, he gets he's a bamf later on in this thing, and he's a bamf throughout the entire thing. I mean, he's standing uh, there with one sword, drawing blood on one side. And then on the other side, he's got a sword right under the armor of another guy waiting to push through. And, and he it's, tells him, he's like, you know, this is a ceramic uh, no ohm shell knife. It'll cut through that armor like a hot knife through butter. Please yeah. don't make me use it. And, so what, what were the high points for you, Nutty? Uh, so 
One of the high points is uh, the bushy mustaches and facial hair. I love the way that Miyazaki has those drawn. I mean, they are just... Mohawk? Huh? Patrick Stewart's character has a mohawk and a Wolford Brimley mustache. Yes, he does. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it, it's less of a mohawk and more like a full-blown high and tight. Yeah, it's, it's pretty Fantastic. amazing. It's really great. Um, but I, there's something about that kind of facial hair. We saw it in Porco Rosso. Um, among all the pirates and everything. And I absolutely love it. Um, I find it highly endearing. Um, I Another high point, and I know I said this in my first reaction, is there was no love story. They could have easily tried to make the prince and Nausicaa fall for each other, and they didn't. And that was awesome. It wasn't nope. about, I love you, and that's why I'm trying to help you. It's, they can control this is the, the right thing. They can control the ohms with the power of true love's kiss. Oh, yeah, I'm God. glad they didn't go there. Yeah. By the way, in a, in any movie I like, that'll never happen when that character's played by Shia LaDouche, all right? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, so uh, the the great warriors or the gigantic warriors, when we see that animation, that is the best animation in the entire film. And it's done by somebody separately. Uh, it is terrifying. That would have scared the pants off little Techie. I don't My- know how that kid next to me wasn't crying. I, I couldn't understand anything he said because he was Italian, but oh my goodness. Yeah, there, there was a little Italian kid sitting next to me and some obnoxious person kicking me in the head behind me uh, at the theater. You see, these are the extra things that you get when you see it in the theater instead of in your house. But I don't know how he's not like horrified because that is an absolutely frightening scene. I mean, that just shook me to the core. You guys need to come to America because when I when I saw Spirits of the Way originally, it was literally just me and my date. <laughs> awesome. So, um, yeah, it it was uh, it was so many little things like that. I really dug Nausicaa. I thought that she was a great character, and you could see that she was strong of heart more than anything. But yeah, she also had a core of steel. Um, but she cares about everyone, and she really thinks about things in her own way and it made me interested in checking out the manga because you know there's more to her setting up a lab below the castle you know that there's so much more to all of this and um she has she has a pokemon a jolteon (laughs) throughout the entire movie (laughs) which which they call a they call a fox squirrel yeah it's it's jolteon it's jolteon without the charge it's awesome um but the fact that you know it opens up and you see her saving someone from an ohm by calming the ohm and and helping it return to its forest, its or the, its jungle. You don't want to come here. You want to go to your jungle because she actually cares. She knows that if the, the ohms leave the jungle too much, that they will die. So while, yes, she's trying to save one of her people, she also really cares about this creature. And then when she gets the Jolteon, you know, she's trying to um, charm it and it bites her finger and she just leaves her finger there waiting for it to understand that she means it no harm. That was you know, amazing. And, and I, th- I like how this all sets up her sacrifice. Yeah. Um, because throughout the movie, the only time she ever enacts violence against anyone is when she comes onto the savage murder of her father. Yeah. And, and then she, she loses it because how could I have lost control like that? 
Yeah. And she realizes that when she hurts Yupa, Lord Yupa. Yeah. And she, that's, I think that's what brings her out of it more than the fact that she just hurt your Lord Yupa is that her anger was focused. It was driven exactly where it needed to be when she wanted it to be stopped. And that's how she ended up hurting Yupa. And from that point on in the movie, she never raises a hand again. Yeah. And she, to, to the point that, you know, there, when she's standing on the um, airship and the prince is coming down with his Red Baron-like uh, plane and she puts her arms out and she, like, sends this message to him, no more killing. I mean, that yeah, she, is, that's yeah, strong. Yeah, she stands in the way of his gunfire. She stands in the way of his gunfire. She yeah. literally puts herself in between his successful surprise attack, by the way, these giant well-armed ships are getting owned by Shia LaDouche. And it takes her, basically, she kind of realizes that he's doing it because they, these people stole their princess. Yeah. And by doing so, murdered her. Yeah. They killed her because they wrecked their ship because they flew through the jungle and enraged the, the, the insects and they crashed the ship, which kills the princess. And she knows that that's what he's there for. He's there for revenge on that. And so she stands in the way and it does invoke that feeling of, of the princess because the princess also seemed to be a very kind individual. Mm -hmm. And they, and they don't even illustrate her kindness by what she does. They actually illustrate the princess's kindness and how important she is and how well she's liked by how they let her die. Um, it, I think this is a really, it's probably the most powerful scene in the, the, the film when she pulls her out of the flaming wreckage of the ship and opens up the blouse to try to do first aid and she just reels back in horror. Yeah. Yeah. And the princess and the princess just talks to her normal. Like she, like the princess already knows she's dying. Like yeah. there's no help. And Nausicaa is crying because she knows there's nothing she can do to help her. Like that scene alone tells you exactly what you need to know about both these characters and why uh, Shia LaBeouf's character would go as far as he is going for the princess, as well as how far Nausicaa goes to save not only her people, but the people invading it and killing her people. Like yeah. she, and, she, and, and we see it again when she's going after the baby ohm and she's the, the two guys that are carrying that baby home, she does a very similar thing and she just throws her arms out and she accepts their gunfire. And the guy's like, I can't. And then the other guy, yeah. her. which again, we, we about- when, when you're looking at these ohms, they are completely foreign. They are scary looking. You see how crazy they can be and how much they can hurt you. And then you can see we- this baby ohm with all of these spikes yes. and screws through it. Mm-hmm. And it looks absolutely tortured and pained. And you can't help him go, how dare you, you monster. Like, that's, again, some of the best animation in this film. Can we talk about how brutal that is? Because oh, every, horrible. Movement, every movement that is that, that the little baby ohm is doing is causing it to gush torrents of blood. And it looks absolutely in pain. And even its eyes, normally when they're red and they're mad, their eyes are red and when they're they're calm or, or just kind of complacent they're blue mm-hmm. and its eyes are flashing between blue and red it gives you a very good and concrete visual mm-hmm. that this thing is tormented it doesn't yeah. it wants to be pissed it wants to hurt things but it is in so such a bad way that it just can't and it is gut wrenching because you know this is so- basically the child just one thing i want to say uh am i the only one that doesn't want that wants a stuffed ohm 
It'd be kind of cool. I don't know if I want the stuffed ohm or if I want one of their off-brand chocobos that Patrick Stewart was running. Yeah, those were pretty, that's another high point. Yeah, the, the, the chocobos with the gas masks. Those were yes. cool. To protect them from the from the from the spores, man. Any weird. other high points before we move on to low points? Okay, low points. All right, low points. I've got two. Go. One, uh the bipolar music. Yep, that's I, one of mine. I, I didn't mind either scores, but it really felt like two competing uh, musicians. I minded the video game score, but not to the point that it was so off-putting as, say, the Lady Hawk soundtrack. It's, had they done the entire movie in that style, I would have been fine. Had they done mm. the entire movie with like more of a classical score, like they did all the other ones, I would have been fine as well. The two of them together are jarring. And, you know, like I said before... Um, the um, uh, that soundtrack and that type of bug and that type of animation—it's called Chrono Trigger, because and you can en- definitely tell when there's a boss fight. Yeah, this entire, yeah, exactly, and this entire movie feels like the work of Toriyama, the guy that did Chrono Trigger and Dragon Quest and Dragon Ball, and uh, you know had an incredible career of his own. It really feels like. Um, uh, the, that art style is his, but the, the music sort of disjointed uh, kind of threw me out a bit. Uh, the other low point, the big low point I need to mention again is Miyazaki doesn't know how to end a movie. <laughs> it's like the, His movies just stop. So let me give you an example of what, because the, there's no epilogue whatsoever except usually some silent scenes in the credits. Just imagine if Star Wars, the, the original Star Wars film from 1977, if... Uh, you know, Luke does the, spoilers here, by the way. If Luke is doing his trench run, drops the bomb, and then the uh, Death Star explodes, and then the credits scroll, and that's the end of the movie. Yeah. What would that be like? You go, well, where's the rest of it? What happened? Like, like did, is Vader okay? I mean, what about, well, you know, the, the, why, what, like, what happens? That's how I feel every Ghibli movie so far. They don't end, they just stop. I think. I think I've mentioned this before. Matter of fact, I know I mentioned before. It's just a gag. Um, But remember how I said Miyazaki is trying to come into his style throughout these films, right? But this is this was before he even founded Studio Ghibli. This was a year before. So exactly, he's he's still learning his craft, which is why you can tell. Like with Kiki, the animation's better. Spirits Away, the animation will be better. Mononoke, the animation was better. I mean, I'm not saying this animation is bad, but those were better. And the endings to those films are better. Mind you, Kiki still kind of doesn't end. It, I mean, it ends, but it doesn't end, right? Like, And same thing with Mononoke. It ends, but it doesn't really end. And I still feel this is Miyazaki trying to find his place because... So where are we going to get to one that has, a, that has a, a full what I would consider to be an ending? What's our next one? Spirited away. There you go. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, no, an, uh, another no. low point. Uh, a low point that I have to talk about. This has to be mentioned. Is I mentioned that they got the voice acting right in North America right this time. That's because uh, the first time they didn't do so well. Yes, they actually did a horrible job trying to figure out what North American audiences wanted. So they took what? over a half hour of footage out. This was in the '90s. They took over a half hour of footage out of the movie, and they respun it as a uh, an action adventure flick. So they took all of the exposition out. They took all of the nature stuff out. They left nothing but the war fighting scenes, 
And in all of the promotional material, trailers, teasers, and posters, they took all of the women out and framed it as like a war film. Yeah. Nausicaa. Yeah. All about a 14-year-old girl. But it was known as like the, the Warriors of the Valley or something like that. Was the, the, the translated title? Uh, I have it right here. It was Warriors of the Wind. Yeah, Warriors of the Wind. And Nausicaa does not appear in the promotional material. You know, not even not even is it that they just cut out one 14-year-old girl. Um, you cut out a 14-year-old girl fighting a hardened, experienced female knight general. Like, she's yep. a commander of a military unit. Right. And you cut her out as well. Like, And the the last low point, I know I said two, but I've got four. So the last low point, there is an, that, that hardened military general voiced by Uma Thurman has a line in, by the way, that first voice cast was so bad, Miyazaki actually says, just put it out of your mind and pretend it doesn't exist. So... Uma Thurman has a line when she's showing uh, the the toll that this war is taking on her and her people where she unhooks her armor and takes off her entire uh, left forearm. And the people are shocked and aghast and they say, oh, my God, you're missing your hand. We we lost Jason. Ah. I don't know what happened, but the hangout just did something weird. Hang on. Oh, great. Now I'm not in control. All right. Hi, Jason. Where'd you lose us? Um, uh, when I was I was saying that um, I was saying that uh, only stream after he said something about the dub, I said that only streamline could uh, make a dub that bad. It had to probably be, either gold is either was a okay, it's either streamline or one other company. But I don't know if you guys heard that or if you, or if it, did you guys cut out on your end? Yeah, every, I, uh, I just kept talking. Yeah, we kept talking, <laughs> but uh, I realized the. Uh, the everything from YouTube just went, oh, snap, something's wrong. So too, uh, to recap real quick, that dub is so bad that even Miyazaki says, pretend it doesn't exist, put it out of your mind. Yeah, and uh, I said that uh, it probably was a streamlined dub because right. back in the 80s, early 90s, streamline was like, they were this, this, I think they were like a Canada slash Texas based dub group and they made some bad dubs. I think one of the early Fist of the North Star dubs was done by them. Oh, like, God. So yeah. here's here's another thing I have to I have to talk to you about specifically because there's a scene later on in this movie when they're talking to the, the Uma Thurman female general character and she yeah. takes off her left hand. I love it. And to, I, to show to show that d- the the damage and the toll that this war has taken not, not not huge but even down to a personal level, you know, she's disfigured by this. And you know, everybody around her is aghast. They're like, "Oh my god, that's so horrible." And she's love, she says yes. she says the weirdest thing. It's it's such an off-putting line of just, "Yes, and the man who's lucky enough to marry me will see much more." It's like, "Is that yeah. a is that a good thing?" And I I love this scene. I love this scene. I love that line because it not only fills in a lot of that backstory that I said, you know, we didn't have on her. That teases it, me to to read the comic because there's more there. Uh, that's absolutely. the only time I felt like, wait, what? And I love it because she takes you literally because they because because basically this conversation is Nausicaa asking her why she's doing this. Mm-hmm. And she takes off the hand and she's and they're like, oh, my God, because and she's just like, yeah. And the man who's lucky enough to marry me will see far worse. And like and that just and that just lets me get this wonderful picture of the fact that this woman has sacrificed everything, everything. She will sacrifice her body, her love life, you name it in in service to her country and victory. And 
some people would say that's you know a lot of these uh you know what are those uh oh god um the 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 they're not they're not they're they're they don't believe in sexism the manism guys or whatever the hell oh men's rights activists yeah 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 they would probably be like well that's just unrealistic that no woman could be that dedicated but but absolutely is a wonderful wonderful note for this character because I was you gonna know, comment on the fact that your men's rights activist is is the cause, but no, that keep makes going. sense. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know, and it, it it is it is such a suiting thing because even Nausicaa at that point is like, oh my god! Like even Nausicaa at that point realizes that yes, Nausicaa feels like she is in the right, but so does she. And I think that one of the one of the best things I've ever heard and described was a villain, the best villains are the heroes of their own story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she is obviously the hero of her own story. Yeah. And it shows you that, yes, she knows she's doing terrible things and his going as far as she feels she needs to go. But she's doing it in the pursuit of, in her mind, something greater and far better. And you know what? She's if she, say Let's say she succeeded, right? She would probably be one of those people to die and be carried out on her shield. And as she was being carried out on her shield, she would relish... And the fact that she sacrificed everything to achieve the victory needed to propel her kingdom and her king and government or, or queen into a better place. Like it is she's a wonderful villain. Yes. An absolutely wonderful villain. Agreed. Um, so uh I'm not really sure low points um other than uh I just feel like there's a lot more story that we weren't told and I don't know really how to resolve that. Um, yeah. And comparing it to other Ghibli movies, it's it's not at the top. Um, but I did really enjoy it. Um, before we uh, move, did you have other lows, uh, Jason? No, um, my low point is with yours. I, yeah. I just think that there's Tech a said lot. most of mine. <laughs> I think there's a lot more backstory to this, but you, you just can't put it in here. Like, yeah. You just can't. I mean, you're like I, I made the joke earlier that you're going to be on Peter Jackson time, but you know it's serious. Like if you if you took because I think this thing lasted I think a hundred volumes. I it think? could be. I think maybe the best way you could resolve it is if it were a series instead of a movie, and now, not many people me, have that budget. Give, give me this story, but in uh, you know um, uh, a series of you know twelve thirty minute episodes, and give me three four seasons of it. Yeah. Question. Question. Would we like a Netflix series based in the Nausicaa universe? Like Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Done well, yes. Not a bunch of white people. Done well. I'm looking at you, Death Note. Um, Have you guys absolutely. watched that? No, I'm not watching that. Oh, man. I have I wanna, no I wanna, need. I could probably hear his head explode from here. Like, oh, God. Like, oh, it's so bad. So uh, there's a couple of trivia points I do want to go over. Um, and one that I... I I can't believe I didn't notice. So Nausicaa is a character from Homer's The Odyssey. Um, but Patrick Stewart voiced Lord Yupa. Mm-hmm. is also Captain Jean-Luc Picard. In The Next Generation, Picard had to have an artificial heart that he needed installed after a run-in with a Nausicaan. Yeah, Nausicaans are big, scary aliens. That was one of the first things I thought about when I saw the poster. I'm like, yeah, Nausicaa. They don't mean Nausicaan because I don't think somebody's going to get stabbed in the heart for losing a game of Domjot. Right. But Tapestry was written well after, and that's a nod mm. to him being in 
in this movie. Is that why they named them Nausicans? I think so. Well, it, they might have already been named Nausicans. Uh, Trekkies, don't get mad at me. I am a Trekkie, but I don't know all about Nausicans. Uh, I could see it being named after um, the the character in Homer, so the Odyssey. But either way, it was a Nausicaan because of this movie, which is awesome. I mean, is there anything not associated with Sir Patrick Stewart or Sir Ian McKellen that isn't awesome? Uh, very little. Uh- Go ahead. Oh, did you have something? Not, no. I had I had another piece of trivia that I'm just yeah. reading off Go the ahead. screen there. That that first Warriors of the Wind dub was so bad they didn't even give the voice cast any billing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I got more on that. That's horrible. How could you do that to your people? Did you say what company did the dub? Yes, it was uh, New World Pictures. Oh yes, that's the other one. <laughs> New World Pictures and Streamline. Yeah. They are the worst dubs you will ever find so if you can find an anime with those dubs sit down with some nice brews some chips or just avoid them no no oh my god no 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 you can't avoid them because they are hilarious you want to talk about stuff so bad but new uh, new world pictures that was fist of the north star wasn't it yes that was bad yes oh man (laughs) point proven so, oh, God. Hayao Miyazaki was still so upset by the truncated Warriors of the Wind version of Nausicaa that when Harvey Weinstein approached him to discuss the distribution of Princess Mononoke in 1997, so this is like more than 10 years later, and insisted on similar heavy, uh, a similar heavy cut version of the film, Miyazaki angrily left the meeting. Several days later, Studio Ghibli producer... producer uh, Tashio Suzuki sent a katana sword to Weinstein's office. By the way, this was an authentic katana uh, with no cuts embedded into the blade. The film was later released in the USA in its uncut version. During a later interview, Miyazaki commented on the incident by smiling and stating, I defeated him. Uh, as, a, as a note to, to people who don't understand Japanese culture, sending someone a sword is a sign that you want them to kill themselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, the, I know. Here this is a blade. Podcast. Kill yourself. I know this, is a, this is a clean podcast, so I won't say it outright. But this is a big F and a U. Oh, from, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> from Studio Ghibli. This, this, and, this is like a Klingon clasping their fists over their chest and turning away from you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so after the heavily rewritten and edited 1985 release of this film in the United States, blah blah blah. Uh, um. By the way, was that Harvey Weinstein? Oh, you never mind. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Miyazaki was hesitant to release any of his films outside of Japan. Miyazaki demanded that any new licensor for his films be contractually bound to uh, do no edits whatsoever aside from straight translation and dub. Disney, who bought the rights to all of Miyazaki's films except The Castle of Kaglia, Kaglia. yeah, uh, yep. has honored this stipulation. So, By the way, Castle of Kaglia. Agliostro has a has another nest of dead animators. There's a clock tower <laughs> with moving gears throughout it. Yeah, they got murdered. <laughs> so this was adapted from the first two volumes of the original manga, which Miyazaki wrote and drew himself. Um, from February 82 to March 94. He took breaks from working on the manga and worked on the earlier anime films he did. This manga is longer and more complex than the movie featuring more characters and places. Uh, 
Well, yeah. This How is- much of it have you read, Jay? I have read probably the first third. So probably the first. If you if you go by chapters, like the individual, like little the little volumes, mm-hmm. probably maybe twelve. Okay. Cool. Uh, if you're talking about like bound, like the big omnibus volumes, maybe two or three. Oh, that's good. Uh, so because this is an original story with no promotional tie-in, that's why Miyazaki made wrote the comics. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. It's like, well, they'll give me money if I do a tie-in, so I'll make something to tie it in. Yeah, that's, the, that's a great idea. I'll put it to you this way: the only equivalent to this movie in the manga would be the Akira manga. And the Akira film, yeah. um, they are that. I mean, that's literally. If you've ever read Akira manga, or better yet, for you guys, because I know you guys love this, uh, the Ghost in the Shell manga versus the Ghost in the Shell original film. Yeah, yeah. Um, the manga's on my show. Literally shelf. the difference between the two. Yeah. So um, we went over a lot of the technology and tech knew it all before ever looking at the uh, trivia. But uh, one thing is that um, where was it? The yellow on the underside of the the how do I say it? Tamikians? Is that there? Yep. Yeah. Uh, is meant to be similar to the Germans. Yep. Everybody uh, in World War II, uh, with, uh, without radar or identification friend or foe systems, when planes go zipping by overhead at a couple hundred miles an hour, it's kind of hard to tell which one is which. So the Germans would paint the underside, parts of the underside of their planes yellow. And um, uh, allied planes uh, did what they called invasion stripes. So it was white, four white and black stripes on the wings so that an observer on the ground looking up could very quickly tell which plane was on which side. And they use that in this because they're, they're, they're students of that stuff, and I kind of like it. Yeah, the climactic god-soldier I... scene that scares me so much yes. uh, was animated by – can you pronounce that? Hideki? Uh, Hideaki Anno. Hideaki Anno, who would soon go on to make a name for himself at the Gainax. Gainax So the guys that did this in in 85 then went on to Gainax and did every great thing Gainax has ever come up with. And at about the same time, I think like a year or two later, was Wings of Oniamis, which you want to talk about dead animators. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hmm. We will have to have an off off podcast talk about the wings of Oniyamis because that is one of the it is great and horrible all at once. It's a bad, boring movie, but good gosh, is it pretty? Oh. Yeah, and if we know by that the way, theme. yeah, uh, Hideki Anno is you also would know him for something that brought anime into the mainstream in the nineties, mm. Evangelion. Because Gynax is behind Evangelion, right? Oh, he did. He did Evangelion. Mm-hmm. Speaking of a really pretty animation that kills animators, there you go. Um, kills animators and makes all the emo teenagers love life. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then lastly, I guess Miyazaki's director trademark is flying. In any movie that he does, there is flying, and so of course, uh, Nausicaa flies on her Maeve throughout the movie, and she gives lessons during the credits. Um, I think that's really cool. Yeah, the Princess Nausicaa, the Princess Nausicaa School of Hang Gliding was yeah. a really cool little scene in the in the end credits. Yeah, and it, it actually should be just her making them do flutter kicks, screaming, "You gotta get a core! You need to get a good core!" <laughs> Three million leg lifts, go! So that brings us to ratings. Okay. Um, so, like I mentioned before, I really like this. I thought it was a fun movie, and um, the 
it, it had a great story. It was acted very, very well. Um, uh, it, it touched on some very serious, very overarching points about how we take care of the environment and how we have to look outside of our petty squabbles and look at overarching things in humanity to, to work together towards these common goals because they're more important than whatever we're squabbling about. Uh, but, okay, as social commentary, it's great. As a movie, it had that bipolar soundtrack. It had animation that, you know, they were still sort of getting into their stride. So this is an early film, so it didn't have that animation quality that I'm, I'm looking for positive animators. I didn't get it. Um, and yet again, it just stopped. It didn't, it didn't end. It stopped. And I'm, I'm still being burned by that. So I'm going to give this a 6. A okay. 6 out of 10. A 6 out of 10 dead animators. Um, but they're not dead. To me, this, was a, it, this movie could have been a knockout of the park 10 out of 10. So this is a solid movie for it's you. It's a solid movie. It was good. It was good. There's a lot of things that they that they d- that needed work, but be it was a great movie with a great story and uh, everything else was just okay. So would it be slightly tattered, maybe a slightly used animator, like a pre-owned animator? <laughs> He's got carpal tunnel in both wrists. He'll never do anything more than like stick figures again, but. Um, Jason, he's alive. Jason, what's what do you say? Um, well, Jen uh, beforehand told yeah. me she was like, well, she was like, I remember the movie, but I don't remember the movie. She's like, she's like, well, she's like, I know it was good, but she's like things like Kiki and Spirited Away and um, From Up on Poppy Hill, which is a movie that made her ball her eyes out, by the way, um, stand out more to her. Um, so she said she would wanted to give this one seven fox squirrels out of ten because hmm. um, she she did enjoy it, but it's not one of his best, and it didn't stand out to her against them. Because if you compare this to things like Kiki, and you guys haven't seen it yet, but Spirited Away, um, it pales a bit. Not I don't say it pales with like Nausicaa as a character, but just in the overall sense, those things mm-hmm. are Miyazaki at his best when he's doing that. Okay, um, so she thinks it is exceptional. Yeah, and um, really quick, you were talking about um, Miyazaki's trademarks, mm-hmm. one of which flying. Mm-hmm. Also, female protagonists. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, strong female characters. Strong female characters and flying, and you will see flying. I don't think there's one he's done. He personally has done that does not have flying. Yeah. Um, my rating, I give. I give Nausicaa, I want to say a seven and a half, but it's going to be seven and a half uh, gunships out of 10 because I do like it and I do like it a lot actually, but it, it it's long. And after reading the manga, I realized that they had to make these cuts and truncate the movie. And I feel like if you've watched, if you read the manga, you can watch the movie and you'll get it, like all of it, right? Like you'll get the whole picture, but that's because you've got tied in material. Just and so t- you know, you've rated this higher than Princess Mononoke. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I like to be to be fair. Okay. I like I like Nausicaa more than I do San. All right. Yeah, I do too. Mm-hmm. And that and also there's a love story in Mononoke. There is not in Nausicaa. 
So not, again, that a, not that a love story is a bad thing. The, you know, a, a love yeah. story done well is fine. I mean, you could consider, uh, a, you know, Porco Rosso is a love story. Oh, yeah. And but, that's a, but that's a love story that is stretched out over decades mm-hmm. and it is of longing. More but it's than- not shoehorned into no, another not. movie. And when that happens is when I lose the plot and I get really annoyed by that. Agreed. And I know this. I know this is an anime, but I just recently watched the Wonder Woman movie, and I had a big problem with Chris Pine's character. I didn't understand why she needed a man to be the spark for her curiosity to go out to the real world. I, I it bothered me. He was so he was a plot device. It was she exactly. needed somebody to show up and and tell her what was going on, and he needed to be there to say the things that the audience are thinking. Stay on yeah, and, and to but, write the and spoiler alert to write the love letter at the end for her to you know whatever. It, yeah. Anyway, stay on that target. bothers me when they make they it bothers me when they do it with women. So it's going to bother me when they do it with Chris Pine, and that's kind of what the love story in Mononoke was. Um, it was it was a plot device. Or at least a it was used as a plot device to kind of give purpose to 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 Ashitaka um, when he didn't have any other motivation. Because <laughs> there were several times in that movie where he, if he didn't have that love story, he would have just kind of been there, and yeah. that bothers me. I don't so, like it. My because, rating. Yeah. So yeah. I'm cutting you off here. I was just thinking. I think the worst podcast would be if I had to control both Jason and T. Uh, so, yeah. So while you think about that, uh, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out where I want to rate this. Um, I think I'm going to give it a 6.5. Uh, oh shoot. Jen took my rating system. Uh, (laughs) 6.5 fantastic voiceovers by Tress McNeil. Oh my God. Tress McNeil is the witch. I love her so much. By the way, I love how she gives no Fs. She tells those people right out. They murdered our king. He was in his bed dying and they killed him. Screw you, invaders. It's, I love her so, so much. Her, her voice that she puts on for yeah. this character is a character that she uses again in Futurama. Because whenever they go to Kif's home planet and they meet yeah, the, the, gr- swamp hag. the grand midwife or I am the grand funeral director or the grand museum curator. How many jobs do you have? I have nine jobs. They're all grand. It is that exact same voice that she is putting on. It's the old hag that she does. And I love Tress to death. Um, which is also the swamp hag, right? Right. It's also, yeah, get out of my swamp, you kids. She is my favorite voice actor, uh, and uh, she did brilliant in this. I, I love it so much. Yes. All right. I- so that's what we thought. And you can tell us what you think by listening to the contact information at the end of the episode. You can thank with me people like Jason, Thanks, Aaron Daddy. Jackson, Beth. Aurora Lee, Susan, Melissa, Susanna, Kinsey, Ian, Harold, Jen, Patrick, Shane, hi Shane, Rich the TT, Dagny, Mike, Ken, Lynette, and sometimes Nick for bringing you two episodes a month because they donate on Patreon and without them, we would still be a one episode a month They podcast. won't let us stop. If you donate more, who knows? Well, there may be more or other fun things. So thank you for joining us. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Nope.
This is not the podcast promo you're looking for. Because Aurora Lee is not a podcaster. She wouldn't even record her own ad. She's a travel photographer who also enjoys a bit of geeky experimentation. Lego, Star Wars, minifig, Valentine's, anyone? Like many other creatives, she wants to share her physical art with everyone. But also, maybe not go broke doing it. Support her over on Patreon, and she'd love to send you art for you, your wall, and even your friends. Patreon.com slash Aurora Lee. A-U-R-O-R-A-L-E-E. Nutty Bites is produced by Nimlas Studios under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial Non-Derivatives 3.0 International License. That means you can't change it without my permission. You can share it and send it to your friends. Just link back to me, my site, and everything. We live at nimlas.org, which has links to everything social media, including facebook.com slash group slash Nutty Bites and patreon.com slash nukejoss or call 347-Nutty42.